Hello and welcome to our global S&OP community weekly podcast Brought to you by Ahmed Khalid and Ahmed Al-Hamamsi from Middle East Our global S&OP community podcast mission is to build a global community from supply chain, marketing, trade marketing, sales and finance all over the world Where everyone's voice could be heard and listened Every week we host a new episode with great thought leader in the S&OP industry. We believe that one word, one story, or one conversation could open up the light in the screen of your consciousness and you'll never be the same again. We discuss hot and trending topics with our subject matter experts by asking the right questions that uncover their valuable experience in our show. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.com .co Stay tuned every week with our global S&OP community podcast. Hey, 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 good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all those beautiful people who are watching and listening to us right now. Welcome to our Global S&OP Community Podcast, episode number 14. As usual, let me ask you uh, in the below comment, can you please let us know where are you from in the below comment, just to send you some greetings for your uh, amazing country. In case if it's the first time for you to tune in, please I want to share with you our uh, mission for the podcast. Our mission, as usual, and as we said, it's uh, building a global community, not only from supply chain, but also from marketing, trade marketing, sales and finance, where everyone's voice could be heard and listened. In our podcast, we don't use this kind of two ways of communication, not only between us and our guests, but also a third element of communication. And the third element of communication is your voice. We discussed uh, trending topics with our subject matter experts and give you a space to ask them questions live. Because as we said before, your voice matters for our community. The amount of experience and knowledge that you will absorb from our episode and our podcast is a real knowledge you will not find in books. Uh, let me just send some greetings for our, our friends. We have Tarja, great episode. Ahmed, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, let me come back to uh, our to- today's topic. Today's topic, we, we will step, into, step out into uh, the strategic uh, level, not only like last times, which we, we discussed into the operational and tactical level. And we will move into the, this level from the supply chain point of view. And let's be honest with ourselves. When it comes to executing the strategies from the supply chain and based on real experience in the market, most companies, and I'm saying this real from a real experience, most companies use the one size fits all product strategy without any differentiation or even logic behind it. Just one size fits all products or serves what they, they do. Uh, could be using the same inventory strategies for all their products, could be using the same uh, asset footprints strategy 
could be using also same replenishment model for all for all their products uh, uh, across all the DCs that they're using. Uh, maybe make or buy decisions also across all the products. And what do we need from you? We need your engagement today uh, because this kind of strategy it's something very unique, and we need your uh, questions to be with us. But uh, in the right way to manage our supply chain, we need you to be engaged together. And our guest today is very, very special guest. Our guest today, let me, if you can see my screen. Our guest today is Paul Denman. Paul is a supply chain professional who is committed to create uh, and connect and transform sustainable supply chains. He is uh, a consultant and advisor in the supply chain uh, just world uh, transition process. His passion is in transforming his knowledge to others. Paul has trained over 1,000 uh, supply chain professionals in over 100 countries. He is a master instructor with Apex. He conducted in-house trainings for Aramco, United Nations, King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, Mobile Telecommunications, NCB uh, Bank, Sabic, Siemens, and Savola Foods. With his social responsibility, he's, he's currently active as process architect for Lonza Cells and Gene Therapies. He's working also on expanding COVID-19 vaccine production capabilities. May I ask you please to welcome with us, Mr. Paul, but before, as usual, we go to this, let's... <laughs> Paul, welcome to the show. Good, first, good first, evening, everybody. <laughs> first welcome. of all, let, let me thank you for accepting this humble invitation to our blo uh, global S&OP community podcast. Pleasure having you in the show. And we have uh, a great source of information to our network today from based on your uh, experience uh, in the supply chain field. And somehow about the vaccination, I think that I will park this question till the end of, of our episode. So welcome yeah, back to the show. <laughs> welcome back to the show. So let me start firstly by the first question. Uh, I believe that many people, they don't understand this because of the operations and maybe they don't even move into tactical level. What is the meaning of the supply chain strategy? What is supply chain strategy? What a supply chain strategy is, then we first have to go to, to let's say, the strategy of a company. So a company wants to have a direction and a direction is usually based on a vision on a mission statement and you want to go to a certain way a strategy is basically the plan you want to achieve your goals so the first thing about the supply chain strategy it's always it has to fit in the company strategy if it doesn't do that then you can go to the right but the rest of the company <laughs> is going to the left so that is the first element of a supply chain strategy and what is main in the in in the supply chain strategy of course we have let's say also somewhat more technical operational decisions about where do i place my warehouses what mode of transportation am i using um, where are my factories? Which products are bring to which market? You mentioned already things like make and buy decision. It's all part of the supply chain strategy. And the supply chain strategy is basically the means where we want 
to go to to satisfy our customers and i hope this is something it's resonating too much because from a real experience when it comes to I used to listen this because from the other other side from the organization, they use the one size fits all. I believe in that, whether that they have one one replenishment system, one inventory strategies for all the products. What is your view based on your experience in the consultation? Do you face these challenges with some companies? Yeah, what I see is I see a comment of uh, Sri already. In, in this one, one size does not fill, fit all as each in- industry within a company may be very different. Yeah. And I even want, want to make it more, uh, <laughs> let's say, pointed to something. Even with the same company, it's not working. One size fits all. So for one part, you might have a supply chain strategy where you make to stock, where another strategy can be I engineer to order. You have all those elements in that strategy not only different per industry because that's 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 right uh if you are for instance in chemicals you might have a completely different market as for instance another company like apple or ikea so the strategies can be can be different but also within the company you can have different approaches and there's uh, also in the industry, if you take take examples of uh, AliExpress, Amazon, and mm-hmm. whatever e-commerce, they have different supply chain strategies, and they yeah. make within that strategy that 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 they are creating, uh, let's say, what we always call a competitive advantage. That's why you choose for AliExpress or for Amazon. Yeah, wonderful. So you you mentioned that one of the inputs for the supply chain strategy is the business, I would say the business plan or the business objectives or the business imperatives itself. And if it's opposing, because I see this also, that supply chain maybe it's going right, as you said, and the business, the, the business plan, it's going to the left side. When it comes to that point, what are the inputs that should be considered from the leadership in that point, just especially in the supply chain, how they can shift their mind to be in the same way of the business objectives. Yeah, my point of view, but that's, that's not with a lot of companies. You should have a vision. Leadership mm. should have a vision. We are directing to that way, and you can disagree with a vision, like like for instance, uh, uh, in in Tesla, he is having a vision in mm. what he wants. Uh, you can agree, disagree with it. If you disagree with it, you should work somewhere else or buy another product. But at least he's going into a direction. If we take the example of IKEA, what everybody knows, uh, he recently passed passed away, but he had a clear vision in what he wants mm-hmm. in his stores, in his in his products, and it's even that 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 worse or that good that all over the world you should have the same experience. You sh- they have the same handbooks. They have defined everything almost uh, uh, in a very detailed way. So if you come to an IKEA in, for instance, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia or mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, and you go to the kitchen department, they are instructed, whatever question you are coming, to mm-hmm. talk, try to talk with you at least for three minutes. And the three minutes, <laughs> it's a key indicator. And that's that's something 
what they bring forward in a certain vision because the customer and i i, I believe the one who should lead that part it's always the customer that should be the input what the customer wants is important yeah uh, totally 100 percent. because if we got deviated from the customer you will not be able to serve all that i would say that there will be a, a blockage in the whole supply chain and most most organization their leadership they, they don't have this kind of visual understanding and just working in silos will not serve the business or the supply chain to serve the business imperatives or, or the business vision, as you said. So based on your experience, and I think this is one of the most compelling and very uh, challenging point when it comes between uh, optimizing the inventory level and the service level, the desired service level for, uh, for a company. When it comes to this point, what kind of uh, strategies that do you, do, do you recommend or what kind of system thinking when you have this kind of consultation? I saw, by the way, in your uh, profile that you are using critical thinking, which is something that any consultant mm -hmm. just working in because many people, they think about the theories. Just very curious to understand how you look at these kind of things and how you attack it by your system thinking. Yeah, one, one part, if you're looking to do to, to, to infantries in that, that respect, my my point of view is, is I can calculate a lot. I have all those formulas, all those theories, and they are a starting point. But one of the one of the most important things in infantry management is to use common sense. So if <laughs> your infantry is never going out of stock, then there's one conclusion conclusion you have too much infantry you sh you are able to lower it it's also if you look the very very interesting way of looking we try to minimize the infantry so basically we have every time we order a possibility to out of stock and we do not want to have high infantries but on the other hand if i only order one time a year cheap products I have only one chance of getting out of stock. The theories mm. are not supporting it, but maybe that is better to invest in, let's say, low value <laughs> infantries to keep them over there, not bother about it and just have them and serve your customer needs. In a lot of cases, I think that 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 uh, we we overestimate let's say the 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 scientific way mm -hmm. of infantry management of course i i, I did an assignment uh, some time ago for a company like striker that's in medical medical supplies they mm -hmm. have over per country over 100,000 different article codes Ooh. yeah in that way you cannot work without <laughs> demand management in mm -hmm. a system to calculate to estimate but in a lot of companies, we see that the number of final products is not that big, especially mm. if you manufacture them. You can do it in an easier way and most of it common sense. I can, I can imagine that point if, if you're talking about finished good, I'm talking if it's locally manufactured, uh, manufacturing, I believe that I can imagine the complexity even from the raw and packaging materials when it comes to the development of material. It's very hectic. And one of the things that I see in addition to your valuable experience, when it comes to the inventory management, 
people just look into the active uh, SQs, how it runs, but they forgot how to look into the inventory from another perspective, which is how they can see their inventory health report. Uh, what, what is uh, my cycle stock? What's my safety stock? What's my overstock? What is near expiry if I have a perishable uh, products, something like that. And based on that, if you want to release some cash, focus on the things that maybe it will be potential to be a business waste. You can focus on the overstock and just to drive it with the action uh, regarding, regarding the S&OP, something like that, and drive it with the leadership. But what I can see that most people, they because it's easy way, because it's the transaction, it's very fast. And they're, they're for the fast runners or A or B or C class, they just reduce or play in the normal safety stock or their cycle stock just to manage or maneuver the, the inventory level. But rather than this, focus on the biggest chunk. And I, I do believe that one of the, 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 the killers inside the, uh, the, the inventory, it's the overstock because it has many contributions inside, which is something that most organizations, they ignore, ignore it. Yeah. yeah, but what you're mentioning also in Overstock, and I think yeah, Unilever is one of the parties who's having a very fast-moving <laughs> uh, product assortment. Uh, that makes it difficult. So, so having something planned and the markets respond differently, it ends up in Overstock, in expiry, and so on. And that makes it indeed difficult to, to do that inventory management. Um, what I also, and that's maybe also coming back to, to that part of strategy, what I also see is that a lot of companies lack what I call a supply chain governance. So mm -hmm. what they need to have, planners start to reinvent the wheel, make something what is rule-based. So if I have something and it's in a certain demand part, my strategy is like that. And describe it. Usually, usually you have only a handful of strategies, two handfuls maybe, what you can follow with that part. That ease up a lot in your planning. But I've, 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 I've seen it in, uh, in companies that, that for instance, uh, planners have to settle for safety stocks. What mm -hmm. are they going to do? Look at every item individual, group them and build a strategy on it. I once have seen a planner doing that. He had his, let's say, top 100 of the yeah. items. Looking at those and within that top 100, he had also a number of items, what he was looking at every day. That were his babies. And yeah. a lot of them were orphans going away, not look at, set high infantries on it, safety stocks mm -hmm. on it, order it. And that focus you to some part. But try to write it down and say <laughs> okay in this one i want to have that strategy i order on a monthly basis and i don't look at it and those i'm doing it in that way and most nice. planners have it in their mind that is the, yeah, the this is, part. Yeah. <laughs> that's why i say that 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 the knowledge that you're sharing it's something that you never find in book everyone can open the, the google just uh, uh, see how the safety stock and cycle stock is being calculated but using our critical thinking because i believe that, that you touched point that the most experienced guys are the people that they are doing the job by their hands and if they don't have the right methodology or the right philosophy uh, philosophy of doing their job they will be lost and this this kind of critical thinking people should think and even leadership they should convey this kind of thinking to their people and let them soar because i'm telling you from an experience 
people they go and say this is our safety stock model because these variables are xyz but do we question the right assumptions yes or no and yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah and when it comes to reality i'll tell you as a top view from uh like a category view uh, this is the inventory stock days on hand that the target that we have. And when you build the model uh, bottom up from the, the model safety stock, you will find that sometimes that the safety stock or the, the suggestion that comes from the model itself, it's higher than your inventory policy. So what you will be able to do, you will come again and do everything manually, everything manually, just the reduce from here, make it from here based on their experience. Again, it's all about understanding, understanding. It's not about the theories. It's I love what you said. It's all about the critical thinking, not just using everything. Theories, theories. This is what the model is suggested, but we don't question the right assumptions. This is this. Yeah, kind of that's, that's that's indeed what I, what, what I notice in, in, in my, my practice <laughs> is that sometimes you ask the question. Yeah, why? Or ask the, <laughs> several times. Why are you doing that? And people are not used to it. They say, yeah, but but the computer calculated it. Yeah, why? <laughs> what is your point of it? And usually when you look at numbers, and you will also have that in the sales, sales operation planning, mm -hmm. it's also a matter of numbers of doing some part. But ask, why is that? Can it not be different? <laughs> and now the computer is calculating it. Now yeah. what, is, what is what you want? <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. this kind of things should be asked in the right way. So, so curious about this question, which is, what are the factors that should be considered when an organization, whether it's it have that portfolio right now, they are looking into just saving in their margins, let's say, and they want to decide the, to make or buy, just the, whether they, they manufacture it locally or just outsource it for a 3PL or whatever, another sourcing unit. What are the factors that should be considered when they look in that point from a supply chain point of view and based on your experience? Yeah, from a supply chain point of view, you have to ask before, if, you, if you're asking that question, there are two, two elements you need to, to answer before. So that element is the first, first of, of that element is, is what that process uh, or that activity, is that strategic important? That is the mm. first question. And the second question is, is it part of my core business? Mm -hmm. If you answer one of those questions with yes, the answer is easy, easy, do not outsource. So do not buy, you have to do it by yourself. You are not bringing out your basic knowledge. Mm maybe some small parts of it but if you take uh, apple or not nike they never will outsource let's say their product development and marketing part they will use maybe other companies for detailed parts but they are in the driving seat so that is the most common mistake you can make is outsource something what is your let's say competitive advantage and bring it to the competition and they take it from you after that, then it's always, uh, if, you, if you decide to go into, let's say, a buy this decision, uh, yeah, look look at suppliers. Uh, uh, suppliers, then we always have to have, have the reasoning in, in sole, single, and multi multiple sourcing. Uh, sole sourcing, you should prevent. If you are in sole sourcing, that means that only one mm -hmm. can deliver it, then mm -hmm. you are at risk. That should be as limited as possible. And on the other hand, 
single sourcing that can be, for instance, in transportation, if you use DHL or FedEx, mm. uh, that is single sourcing. But you should always have a plan B, a mm -hmm. back door when it's going wrong. Because in all the cases, it's 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 going uh, almost like into a marriage and they discover after <laughs> some time that it's not the right partner. How do you get out mm -hmm. of that that element? Um, yeah, main part is, is bring something out and uh, only when it's not uh, your core competency or if it's strategic important, what you could decide is that um, that you outsource something because you are not able to perform it well so you go to a company who does it better and maybe you look in the back door how they can do it and bring it in what happened by the way a lot in in uh in uh in logistics is mm. that we outsource we always called it outsourcing our misery we are not able to run the warehouse operation or transportation operations. We go to DHL or whatever company mm. and hope they do it better. And then they have it organized. And after a couple of years, we decide, okay, we can do it maybe also and bring it back. That happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, you opened something in my mind, which is I see it from a real experience. When it comes, there is a pressure on, on the coast when it comes to that, you know, that uh, we need to enhance our margin. And you speak about the competitive advantages. When it comes to that, if um, I compared scenario one and scenario two, if let's say that my uh, make decision will be higher uh, if I outsource it or if I buy it. What, what What's your view on that? If I have a big pressure on that from the business and I see that there is a potential uh, saving in our margin, if I outsource this competitive advantage what are the risks that you can see it is that 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 your competition is is going away with your clients with your knowledge with the, the element what is there i think that's the main risk you're having hmm. the competition is coming of your your clients are coming to you because you're good at something if you bring it to another day they, they sooner or later will find out that you are not doing it so what is your added value in that part? Yeah. On the other hand, you could, of course, think of a scenario where, uh, let's say, it might be a competitive advantage that you are doing it. It might be part of your core business, but uh, you cannot perform it well enough. So you outsource it, but always take care that there should be something while the customer is coming to you. What okay. is your added value? Mm -hmm. So, uh, what if if I have a partnership? Um, I'm, I'm I'm just thinking with you because you know the, this kind of pressure when it comes that we need to enhance our margin. I'm thinking that if we have a strategic alliance with our that the supplier that uh, that we have, or maybe we know this kind of supplier and we know that uh, we did this risk uh, assessment with the, with the, these kind of suppliers. Is it possible to go with this competitive advantage or based on your experience, keep it away and even don't don't risk your competitive advantages because it will be, let's say, leaked, leaked or something like that? Now you're also mentioning the element of strategic alliances. And one of the parts is in strategic alliances that they have a high risk of failure. So mm -hmm. uh, 
elements the direction is not the same culture is not the same the calls are not the same so that is always a risk if you also bring that one it's also a risk with with let's say intellectual intellectual property because to to have a strategic alliance work that it works you need to share you need to build uh that future together it will it will not work if you start marrying uh, somebody and you don't see a future with it so that is one of the parts but it's failing quite often so you mm. always have to keep that in mind that it can fail and that you don't <laughs> are left behind with empty hands but you see uh, there can be strange alliances i believe that microsoft facebook uh, google and amazon have in all types alliances where mm -hmm. they think they could be better on a certain part so partner with somebody how you can for instance beat your competition and then you mm -hmm. build on strength you are both having maybe the most famous example in that one is if we look to uh, the compact disc uh, mm -hmm. Philips and Sony mm -hmm. so uh, they lost the battle in the in the in the in the video player with vcr betamax and later on it became uh, i don't know uh, what it was uh, <laughs> uh long time ago but the, uh, vhs it was they lost mm. it what did sony and philips do at that that time they mm. they worked together to invent the compact disc and built on each other's strengths and brought something to the market and you see that happening in, in more elements that you can build that strategic alliance. I think Apple made decisions that they are focusing on phones, on uh, on pots and things like that. But they have also products around it. So uh, the headset, the big ones, they use Beats, I believe uh, it. Uh, they have decided not to go into it, but work with a strategic alliance on it. So yeah. there are a lot of possibilities to to work on it. Brilliant. I love the stories that you, you give it to us. I think that we have one of the questions from our friend Karim. He allow us just to go for that. I, I will read the question. With new production giants uh, rising every year, example, cars production from China using parts from everywhere around the world, and in parallel, existing European and American giants using Chinese and Indian parts to reduce cost. Are we going towards a time when a brand are going to lose their glory towards a more practical market where people buy what is the best of them, regardless of the brand? <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> Especially the last yeah. one is very interesting because yeah. I always, always... Uh... I do not know the reasoning of, of, uh, around the fact why women are buying Louis Vuitton because <laughs> I can buy the same one for two dollars and they they have I've, I've, I've seen it was I was in the States and they were lining up in a COVID situation mm -hmm. lining up to go into that store so to answer <laughs> that question I don't think that brands will disappear we have something it's trust it's it's over there what I do think it's uh, especially if we look in a cars production, uh, the cars production will of course be completely different. So if we are looking now to the market, 
uh, is there a difference in, let's say, the, the, the French-Italian cars? I think Peugeot bought also Fiat and it's continuing. So what is the difference in cars? They have the same engine because there are only three manufacturers and so on. So that industry, what is the brand? It's a feeling what we are having. And what will be the future? I think we have a Google car, we have Tesla and most likely some German cars. And I think also some Chinese electrical cars, but the normal industry, it's going away. So uh, do we, there was the other one, we are buying it from all the parts China's buying in, in Europe. I, by the way, doubt that one. I think the Chinese buy everything in China. But what we have seen in the COVID situation mm. is that uh, it is sensitive, it is, it is vulnerable that, mm. that, that global supply chain can stop. There's one mm. boat in the Suez Canal and uh, we have uh, tremendous delays. We see that and the, the part of outsourcing, there's now a tendency that people are looking to insourcing again yeah. to make it close by. So global markets are changing, but on the other hand, China, yeah, it will stay. They are big, they are have a lot of money, but maybe it's also swifting around because if I look to when I studied, it was Japan and everybody thought Japan will be the, the leader. Once it come to China, that people also get, let's say, some wealth over there, then it will move somewhere else. Most likely it will be India where we get those new factories or so on. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what you said because you touch a point on the localization i believe that when when it comes to the yeah. pressure yeah when it comes to the pressure right now in the supply chain i think that after pandemic as as you said after pandemic and people understand how at the, uh, our supply chain is very vulnerable and uh, it could be one second the whole disruption can attack the whole business and in one second maybe you could be out of business so i think that this this kind of uh, changing the kind of uh, asset footprints from being globalized into being localized. I believe that many organizations now, they understand how they can move into uh, investing in their supplier development, how they can localize, even they will affect their margin in the short term, but they will make sure that the sustainability for the business, their business is going on in the future. And this, this is the kind of leadership because uh, people, they, they, they think that everything will be sustainable. But one time, a company like they, they rely like 60 or 70 percent on their portfolio as a finished good imported. It, it will for sure it will it will go out of the market if something happened like that and it will cost them a lot, which is something really you, you touch a point, which is localization, localization when it comes to that point. So I think we uh, the next question that it's in my mind, Paul, uh, we keep hearing about values, 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 values everywhere. How, from your experience, how can you see that supply chain can add a value for uh, the whole business? I think supply chain is one part of the value. It's bringing a product on time to you. So if we, if we, if we look, example, e-commerce, Amazon, for 10 years ago, we went to a shop and we bought goods. 
nowadays we are sitting at one o'clock in the night with our mobile phone and we <laughs> order and it's next day it's delivered so that complete supply chain is changed and the way companies like amazon are thinking are working how it became cheaper in that part we cut out parts of that supply chain the distribution networks um, it's adding value we are sitting here and we get our products in the way we like it at the moment we like it and of course there is the, the same as brands there should be something what we are feeling what is emotion in it it's not only looking in internet and see it we want to touch it we want to see it but even in the part of of, of fashion you see mm -hmm. that e-commerce it's it's getting sky high mm -hmm. they are not going to sh to stores anymore yeah to drink coffee and to to to, to <laughs> talk but not to buy goods so yeah. in my, my opinion what you see happening al already and i think it's also going in that direction in in middle east the malls are changing they they deliver experience you are not going over there to buy something because then you have to put it in your car and take it away you are experiencing something that will change that that complete concept and if you are not in that part so take the old bookstores they missed something they will not bring that added value in it so you should think in what am i doing what is that added value and that can be can be um there are examples of of stores which are fully specialized you can get everything in that tiny area that mm. is something what is 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 yeah in that way sustainable you will go to that store but that big convenience store where they have everything that will be replaced by uh, e-commerce yeah but from your experience when it comes to the values if if i want to have a service level higher service level for sure that this will cost me something right in terms mm -hmm. of inventory in terms of distribution in terms of number of dcs how how this kind of optimization can be done because i can give the best values for my customer consumer but when i look into my cost at uh, the variable cost it's very high this equation i know it's it's very uh, complicated but from your experience, how can we have the equilibrium between the value that we provide to the consumer or the shopper or the customer and at the same time, the optimized cost in, in the other side? I think one part, but I mentioned it already, it's the convenience you're having. That is value. So you can have the store, for instance, and, and the distribution network, but it should bring something. And it's, 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 of course, very, 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 very sensitive in that way, if that will work. I know examples of shoe stores, they do not do any e-commerce. They invest in distribution networks for physical stores. On the other hand, we, we have something like a, a Zalando. It's only online. So it can be in all the, all the parts. You should look in what your market wants. Mm -hmm. And also when you bring, yeah, the billable costs are high, but if you have, let's say, that economies of scales, if you mm -hmm. currently look to ship something via DHL, it's, uh, it's almost nothing. What you pay for it, the small parcels. And they are not, it's even that low that they're in a lot of countries, they are not even looking in the volume they are shipping. 
you get that tiny pen in a box like that <laughs> and it's still worthwhile so yeah what is what your customer wants does he mm. want uh, yeah, a car yeah even that i think that cars are also sold almost via e-commerce because you are configuring it at the network and a dealer is only delivering it what you already did so the market is changing in that one but it's all about value if you shift in boxes and do not add value then it's easy to cut you out of the chain and do it directly yeah. and that's i think in the past yes we have seen that 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 especially those stores those distribution parts which do not add value they are away you should bring something yeah uh I will come and restress again on the cost because I know this is one <laughs> of the <laughs> one of the biggest pain points when it comes to the supply chain cost. So I believe that even in your consultation with the companies, they they got struggle how they can uh, reduce their cost when it comes to um, that. My supply ch chain cost is very high. What is the system that you use based on your? beautiful experience in cons consulting and uh, trainings how you can help the companies to find the better way and the potential way to reduce their costs and th in that that part you are looking uh, yeah again to value added and non value added activities make that okay. brown paper exercise bring it in where are the elements what is adding cost but no value and keep them out and one of the easiest way is is if you look to supply chains what is the major part of supply chain cost it's transportation cost if you go to look at the transportation bill and you see air freight that is the first one mm. nine out of ten cases that is rush orders they do it yeah. because they didn't plan so start in cutting those costs because a better planning will bring it in and they don't have any idea of that maybe it's cheaper to have some infantry over there instead of flying it in um, another one you mentioned something on overstocking mm. why should we order purchases are doing that a lot we have discount it's cheaper and even we get uh, some some some, some <laughs> presents with it yeah. but it's creating overstock so also look to your lot sizes try to prevent yeah. them look in lot sizes that they they basically are one uh, or i have a box what i should order so there are some elements but, but look in in non-value added costs and mostly they are in transportation uh, transportation is also easy in cutting costs uh, uh, to tender to look mm, to rates. tender around mm, and mm. not once per week but do it at least yeah. once per year try mm. to get it and try and optimize it in your warehousing structure mm. uh, i do not believe widely in automation because the costs are too high but on the other hand i see a lot of warehouse automation projects due to the fact that um, we um, do not have to labor anymore mm -hmm. So in China, that will not work. But if you look uh, maybe also in the Middle East, but in Europe, I don't have to labor. So I start automating to deliver that service. Uh, uh, 
what you said you triggered something in my mind which is the lot size and the moqs yeah. <laughs> it's some some of the biggest challenge in in all supply chain and when it comes to the reality what i say that people they accept that the moq as is or regardless their their requirements or their lot size that they want and we have many challenges in that point because people maybe in the organization they don't have the capability to understand why moqs like this with the suppliers and we have many many variability inside the moqs sometimes you have uh, the supplier will give you higher moq because he has some unique packaging materials or raw materials inside so it's either for him just to not have a holding inventory cost for the finished good he will put the moq based on the bill of material just to convert as a finished good so just asking why 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 you have moq sometimes even you have like uh, a minimum technical batch that the line the resource just to run one piece we need like uh, because of the mixer or the make whatever that the, the criteria that they have in their technical batch we have like 10 tons just if you your, your lot size is one piece i will uh, produce 10 tons which is something crazy uh, some sometimes as you said it's the transportation if uh, that the sometimes supplier is giving the customer that uh, my moq is full container load my moq is uh, full truck load so this kind of discussion i think that it will enhance a lot as you said in in and reduce even the inventory holding cost from that point and even release some cash because this kind of inventory inside inside it affects drastically it, the, 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 the P&L in the long term because if this SQ has a higher, uh, I would say, overstock, it, it will be potential to be expired. And if it's, it's expired, it will hit. You have, you have all types of risk with it. And then mm -hmm. I'm coming back to some parts I mentioned uh, be, before. One of them is, let's say, a supply chain governance. Mm. Uh, MLQs, mostly they are set and we don't look at them for yeah. ages <laughs> so that should be revised at least uh, quarterly look at what is there in the same way you have to look at your safety stock mostly on a monthly basis it should be a routine that the first monday of the month it's safety stock day we are going <laughs> to optimize it in the full planning and there is a deadline on it to be delivered then the second monday we are going to look at the M mlqs it are elements in systems and they trigger everything. I have an example in, in MQs that is a nice one for that was uh, uh, at that time in, 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 in Striker. Mm. There was a factory. They were, let's say, complaining about the fact that people order only one and not more. So they had to start the machinery with one. Yeah. So they brought out in the system our minimum order quantity is five. So mm -hmm. what happens when we put that in, in, in the ordering <laughs> systems, they start spreading orders to the factory <laughs> five times more. And then yes. they are complaining, yes, why are you ordering five? Your normal demand is always one. Yes, because you ask it. And they were very fast in turning it down because suddenly the load was too much. So that is, an effect of MLQs and another effect what what I what I see is that we topping it up in a system. So we put a minimum order quantity in it, we put a safety stock in it, we put, we put, we put, we put, <laughs> and it starts calculating. And everybody knows that example, I want to have one 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 piece of toilet yeah. paper and I get a full truck. <laughs> but it's happening in companies and people do 
normally not see it. Yeah, one once the the order value is going <laughs> above a certain threshold. Yeah, I can understand what you say because you we didn't factor the safety stock because it will trigger a reorder point and it will give you the MOQ value over and above the safety stock. And when you look at the whole picture, why do we have this kind of overstock? And nobody knows. These kind of things, it, it should be questioned. No, but try to figure out in a system like SAP how it works. What does it take first? First, the minimum order quantity, mm. first the safety stock. Try to figure that out. And most of the times people are coming, planners are coming. Yeah, it's doing strange things. <laughs> yeah, because you have this, 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 this. Look at the settings. And they, they have, well, why are those settings? Yeah, my boss did it 10 years ago. And it's still in. Yeah. And we are ordering and relying on the systems. And I think that is that is one part in, in that governance. Bring it in that you are going to look at it, that you evaluate it. And instead of sitting, taking the fires and putting <laughs> water on it, go yeah. to sit every month and Governance. control it. Make yeah. your switches do as, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, manage that, your flow. Yeah. This is the worst thing that when you order without understanding, when you don't understand your master data, when you don't understand how the ERP or the MRP or whatever replenishment system is working, because you order blindly and at the end of the day, when it comes to the inventory, you don't you don't know what was the reason for this kind of overstock or out of stock. Why all of this? So master data, I like what you said. It's, it's about just governance and uh, just cleaning the data and questioning the data with your procurement or with your factory, whatever. Like, uh, as you said, lot size, the MOQs, the lead time, the the GR time, the, 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 the uh, I would say the safety time. Sometimes we, we don't use the safety stock and safety time. All of these the, the parameters should be questioned and should be reviewed every time. And if see that there is any potential to, to have a, a reduction in the cost, whether it's in, in your supply chain cost or even in your uh, inventory cost. We'll jump into the next question, which is the risks. How to manage risks in the supply chain? Uh, and what kind of risks that you, you can see it from your experience? That is an interesting part. I did something on, on, on business continuity, what is dealing with the fact that something went wrong. So I have to go back to normal. They base it also on risk management. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that part from, let's say, more the purchasing part where they also deal with risk. Uh, basically, if you look at risk management and supply chain risk management, you try to find something uh, what is going to happen, uh, likely, not likely going to happen. So most of the things which are likely to happen, we build supply chains for it. So our supply chain is agile enough to deal with certain demands. That is something what is basically easy in, 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 in risk management. But if we are going to the unexpected, and we had one, uh, COVID, it was the mm -hmm. unexpected part. If you look in all the risk management pictures for, let's say, 2019, there was something foreseen that maybe there was something, mm -hmm. but it was not high, it was not likely. 
the impact was seen as big if it's going to happen. In 2020, suddenly it was the other way around. It was the number one in risk and what should happen. Mm. And what you see is that, of course, what I mentioned, the supply chain should be agile enough to compensate normal risk in the operation, but the extreme risk, a supplier burns down. Uh, mm-hmm. And it can be very, very small, a small supplier bringing down a complete multi-billion business because there is a fire. And I think in that one, we should not look in risk management. We should look in more in business continuity mm-hmm. in how, what processes, what procedures are we going to to build to come back to a normal situation? How do we deal with a situation like COVID? And next year, it's something else. But the protocols can be the same. And that's a different approach. What I do not see a lot happening in supply chain yet, Mm. but they should focus on that one. A ship is blocking the Suez Canal. My containers are coming late. That is not a normal risk. How can I deal with it? Um, What I've seen in business continuity management related to supply chain Mm -hmm. is that they map out the complete supply chain, all starting with my critical products and going Mm -hmm. down to tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers, Mm -hmm. bring it into maps and even in parts, if something is happening in Afghanistan right now, Mm -hmm. I have a supplier over there. I see I have a problem, so I need to rearrange. That visibility is, I think, one of the future parts we build supply chains on. Not the KPIs, but seeing what is going on and having a supply chain manager behind the screen seeing, okay, it's burning there in the world. Oh, my supplier is going bankrupt. And all those elements to manage that part. Yeah, I, I, I loved what you said because I can understand now that there's a big difference between a risk management and business continuity plan. Risk management, maybe it will be before the, the, the occurrence of the, the disruption itself. Yes. But once it happens, this this kind of business continuity plan, how I will maneuver uh, all of these risks and take it in the right way. Because risk management, for, as, as we said, forecast will never be right. We never predict, we never understand what will happen tomorrow. But it's all about the responsiveness and agility of your supply chain and even your leadership. This is, this is the game, right? Yeah. About that? Yeah. And, and indeed, that part, which risks are you going to absorb in your normal supply chain? What mm. is normal business? So that a supplier is two days late, that mm. is normal business. We all know how to deal with it. We do not put it in a risk matrix. But how far does it go? How much can mm. my supply chain absorb in being normal functional and i think for most of the companies the suez incident did Mm. not harm them because the supply chain took it over and they had other ways of supplying it but it's about the non-normal risk yeah wonderful i like this kind of stories really it's wonderful open the eyes and i would say this is the last question that we uh 
postpone it at the beginning <laughs> if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so can can you tell us just I know if it's something confidential, no need to share, but mm. what's happening in, in the vaccine? I know that you, you're in, in the, the, the process of vaccine production and find all kind of constraints, find solutions for the production constraints in that point. What's happening in the industry itself? And uh, based on your experience, if, it, if it's something confidential, no need to share. Yeah, I, I, I will. <laughs> I can tell tell something in a part because mm. that's very interesting. What of course happened in in that part? We have something. There is a problem. We need to have a cure for it. That is a vaccine. So all the let's say big pharmaceutical companies start working on it. It's not what a lot of people think mm. that uh, they started in uh, the 2020 with new parts. The technology is there. So they use technology and only now they were able to, 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 to bring a product on the market. What is very interesting in that part is if, you, if we only imagine what is happening that you start, uh, Pfizer is somewhat bigger, but if you take a company like Moderna, and mm -hmm. I believe they are based in Texas, in uh, a small office building when they started, if you look now, it's a multi-billion industry. They start, that's that's not confidential. They start a production line in the Netherlands where we produce, where we start to produce 300 million doses Whoa. per year. So I think if you only imagine the magnitude of yeah. that part, what is going on? But they also need to have a full supply chain. So. What are they all doing? They need the same materials that needs to be sourced, <laughs> that needs to be supply chains. Yeah. And in this one, and that it's a general, let's say, supply chain issue, you decide you had something about make or buy. Yeah, a mm. company like, for instance, Moderna does mm. not have the facilities to do so. Mm. Uh, Pfizer does not have the facilities to make mm. those parts. So they outsource, yeah. they buy capacity and do it that capacity it should be all over the world so mm -hmm. i have to ship to every country in the world i have to produce i have to bring it and what we forget in that one is that it's not easy to scale up and mm -hmm. to move goods across <laughs> borders yeah because yeah. it's easy when it's in one country but if you look to production of, of, of things like vaccines, it's not uncommon that one part is produced in the United States. Then it's shipped to Italy to do a next part. Then it's combining something mm -hmm. from Switzerland in the other part and then going to Spain. And it's happening with all of them. And you should have the complete supply chain organization set up. So imagine what is what has happened and what a tremendous job they basically did is to deliver all mm -hmm. those products in, in strange transportation parts because we have minus 70 oh. in that part. It needs mm -hmm. to be stored, called, and it was a tremendous job to deliver it all over the world. And that's, yeah. that makes, I think that that is one part in what a supply chain is capable of. If I see only the United States, how fast they brought up also, let's say, the distribution network for mm -hmm. putting the vaccines. It's a mm -hmm. tremendous 
supply chain job what happened over there and they used all the existing nodes in the system and that makes it very interesting to uh, to work in that part but yeah. well, I'm I'm sure you are you 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 are with Unilever. They are delivering everyday food to everybody, and nobody yeah. thinks what has to be done to get yeah. it to you. Yeah, exactly. I would like to thank you. Really, it's amazing and wonderful summary about the the vaccination. It really appreciate about that. The last question that I will ask you: What is the best channel? that anybody wants if, if they want any support from you or any help from your experience what would be the best channel to uh, connect with you uh, linkedin is one but you will find will find my 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 information uh, it's not easy of it's not difficult to get <laughs> it but linkedin is one of the main sources uh, i communicate with uh, with people okay and Thank i hope to see a lot of uh, the listeners from Middle East, uh, somewhere in Middle East, uh, once it open again, because that's still a problem, but yeah. uh, hoping that it starts uh, soon enough that, uh, that I can travel again. Uh, because this is nice to discuss, but face to face yeah. in trainings and meeting people is, of course, the best uh, way. Hopefully it will be better soon. Again, I would like to thank you for your amazing experience. As we always said that it's a knowledge that you will not find in books because your amazing experience, it's really something that I, I personally, I absorbed a lot from your stories and experience. And I do believe also our uh, lovely audience today. So I would like to thank you again for your valuable time and accepting this thank kind you. of invitation. And I would like also to thank our valuable uh, and uh, amazing audience. Again, don't hesitate, guys, to come back uh, to Paul at any time. I guarantee you that he will come back to you and support you 1,000%. Thank you, Paul, again, and thank you, guys. Bye thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Global S&OP Community Podcast. We hope that you have absorbed some values from this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to be notified every week with the new episode. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.co or ahmedkhaled.co We believe that one word, one story or one conversation could transform your life. Stay tuned next week with a great thought leader in S&OP. Have a wonderful week ahead.